0: This is Fran McGarry, host of First Online with Fran's There's No Place Like Art, featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. Our nation as we know it is filled with strife and trauma. The Uvalde massacre of 16 children and two teachers Has once again upended the ubiquitous presence of guns in our culture. A 10 year old girl raped by a sexual predator had to travel to another state to have an abortion, only to be sanctioned by pro life legislators. Blatant disregard for the code of law by the former president and his allies who present a clear and present danger to our democracy. Climate change measures undone by a sole senator dissenter. And the arts have a responsibility to reflect and respond to these crises. My guest today, Emma Palsare, playwright, actor, director, producer, and nonprofit administrator is a creative and theater maker who believes in the healing power of the arts. Emma began producing One Woman Plays and founded the Womenkind Festival. Over its 10-year run, Womenkind presented nearly 75 different performers, mainly original works. She's also the associate director of ArtReach, Inc., and has also held the position of Artistic Director for Plays for Living. This is a touring company dedicated to social change, where she also wrote and developed plays for the repertoire. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for having me, Fran. You know, through your solo plays, you've created theater as a channel for healing, that it has the power to bring people together for a common shared experience to laugh, to cry, to learn, and perhaps to have a personal revelation or catharsis. Let's open our conversation on how your programs have provided a space for personal and social change.
1: Well, I think solo plays are kind of unique in that you really are developing that one-to-one relationship with your audience you know, your audience is your scene partner. Uh, for me, it's not a literal, you know, necessarily within the topic of the play, but it's, it's just creating that space for people to come together, share an experience, you know, meet the audience where they're at. And individually, people take away what they take away that's healing for them, whether that's just escaping for an hour and a half or whether that's really connecting to something, you know, a message in the play that becomes important for them. And then sometimes it really is quite literal. <laughs> I had a um, uh, one of my plays live from the Milky Way. It's Gilda Radner was set in the afterlife and Gilda is putting on a comedy special, but she questions whether she can still be funny because she's died of cancer. Her characters come back and help tell her story and uh, help her find the humor in what she went through And one uh, performance, I was on stage and I could hear, I remember it was a Sunday matinee, I could hear somebody in the audience talking throughout the performance. You know, and you're on stage and you're going, what? You know, part of your brain is separated going, what is going on? Why are these people talking? Well, after the performance, a woman and her daughter came up to me and she said, I'm going through cancer. And this play was an excellent way for me to explain to my daughter what I am going through. And this has been very meaningful for us.
0: Yeah. Tell me more about that. What kind of stuff did you mention, you know, in the the play?
1: Some of it is sourced from... Gilda's, you know, autobiography about, uh, you know, some of the tests that you go through, you know, some of it was just like logistical, some of the tests you go through, uh, you know, losing your hair, losing your eyebrows, uh, you know, little, some of it was little details like that, just the real life things that nobody necessarily tells you about (laughs) that are going to happen to your body as you go through treatment. And others are, you know, other parts of play were more, um, you know, the emotional aspect. Uh, Actually, what I kind of did was map out her comic character's I kind of thought they mapped out to the kind of seven stages of acceptance from Elizabeth Kubler ross So, you know, it really starts with denial and anger and then, right. So all the way up through acceptance. So that's kind of the arc of the play as well. So hopefully that gave them more to talk about and, and share that experience in that way. Yeah. Yeah
0: the range of topics that you cover is vast how do you go about you know it's like this is what i want to do next sometimes it just hits me <laughs> you know you just get an
1: inspiration and if that inspiration doesn't go away then i i go with it for example right now i'm working on a new piece about a victorian photographer named julia margaret cameron who you know was one of the first photographers of any genders you know she picked up a camera in 1860 you know they were brand new we stumbled upon her house uh, in the UK on travels in oh. 2019 and I just thought well that's interesting I never knew about her what a fascinating life she just kind of stayed in my mind to see if there's a, a story there that I want to tell
0: what do you think is important about telling these stories? Well, very
1: much on one level with historical women as part of the whole conversation right now about what history we've been taught. It really happened a lot with my play on Victoria Woodhull that I noticed people were coming up to me after a show or if I was telling them about the show and they'd say, oh, I'm really sorry, but I, I'd never heard of her before. And I'd say, don't be sorry, be angry, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you weren't taught about her. She was taken out of history books. She's the first woman to ever address Congress, the first woman to publish her own newspaper, the first woman to run for president. And she's not in your history book. And she's not even in your books on suffrage, for the most part. So, you know, there was a lot of conversation about uh, Black history in this country. And history of many marginalized populations. We haven't been taught it. We've been taught a very focused perspective. So that's kind of one thing I've gotten more and more passionate about is sharing the stories that we don't know about. But I also look for, you know, how is that relevant today? How is that, if I'm picking up somebody from history, what's the connection to today that people are gonna, you know, because I, it's not a history lesson, it's a piece
0: of theater, right? <laughs> so. And through that conduit, we get to open people's minds. And this recent flux of school boards, you know, that are being attacked to shut down curriculums and monitor what books, I mean, these are very, very dangerous actions? And how can we make change? How can we say, no, we're not going to go back to that?
1: Well, I think that if theater just by, is a way to bring people together in a non-confrontational way. I mean, you could do theater as a, a political act and say it's a political act, right? But you can do theater as art and bring people together in the room to have that experience. While people are being entertained and reacting emotionally, that's what they're going to remember and react and get them thinking and hopefully move them to action these days.
0: Right? But is there a time where you're one of your programs and we'll talk more about your outreach programs because that's mm-hmm. really important yeah. because it's it's all about education. It's all about getting people to call in and to learn and to broaden one's one's mind where your your work may change, where your work changed somebody's mind. Like I never thought about it like that.
1: You know, you don't always know when you're up on stage, right? What's happening with people in the audience? I think at Artreach, because you know, and, and I said you get we get to that later, but because that's a group that we work with continually. We do get to hear back from people a month later, a year later to say, you know, that program really saved me or, you know, I can see now that, you know, that program kept me from spiraling into depression or because we went virtual uh in the last two years, obviously. Right. So uh but we had to train our members. Um first of all we had to give them access to technology. We work with um adults living with mental illnesses and then you know teach them how to use stuff and then get them regularly participating in virtual programs. And that's uh, huge. Yeah. And that's we had sweet. one member who went back to college <sighs> after, you know, 10 years of dealing with psychiatric illnesses and uh, being in recovery said, you know, because I got comfortable on the computer through outreach, I felt I could go back to school. Just simple. Yeah. yeah. It okay. just takes simple steps. Right. Take and you- the way in is to say, come and act with us on the computer, come and paint with us on the computer. Right. So that motivated people to say, okay. I got to get internet service. I got to learn how to do this in that extreme circumstance. Yeah.
0: Tell me more a little bit about some of the programs at ArtReach and how do you go about developing the curriculum that goes with it? Like, do you have uh, a staff that develops the curriculum and, you know, training artists, teachers? Yeah. What's the, what's the. We are a staff of four
1: and, uh, Oh God. And we, and we doubled in 2019. So there were two people running the company. Oh God <laughs> up until 2019. and then we added to uh, two people who and we both happen to be theater folks who came on board full-time at that point. No. So- never, never let it be said
0: that theater people are they, we are staunchly dedicated to yeah. pursuing our art. Yeah.
1: So we have a really unique and wonderful culture in that it's on all of us as staff to model our self-care and to keep our creative practice going, right? Because that's important for us to show people that's critical, right? To your well-being, to your personal development, and those are tools for recovery, right? If if painting is meditative for you, having, you know, the literal hardware tools, <laughs> having paintbrushes and paint and paper and knowing that you can do that if you're starting to feel anxious, if you're starting to feel depressed, you know that's a tool to go to, take out your paper, take out your paint and give yourself an hour. That's like, that can be huge for people or if that's sitting down and writing and really through the pandemic, what has been most instrumental for people is having that community. Yeah. We were one of the few organizations that were able to go virtual immediately and keep bringing people together and our, uh, we call them program members, like Several people expressed if I didn't have that outreach community consistently throughout, I would have ended up
0: in the hospital. I said I would have been back on the side. Who are some of those people? I'm, I'm interested in some of the stories.
1: Well, we have such a diverse array of folks and many have came to the organization like 20 years ago and are still members of wow. the program. So we are not a clinical program. We're a psychosocial. So, you know, through the arts, we're building life skills. We're teaching people things to help them sustain their recovery from their mental illness. And we're there to support people. You know, if we notice somebody's starting to go down a road, you know, we we'll, we as staff will talk to each other and say, hey, is something going on with uh, so-and-so? And we'll just keep an eye on it and report back to their case managers if we notice anything. So there's that kind of fallback for it. And we also work with each person to meet their individual needs. So, you know, say in a theater rehearsal, right? In theater, you typically say, you need to know your lines by Monday, right? But we know sometimes it's due to psychiatric medications. Sometimes it's just due to how somebody functions. It might be a neurodiverse issue, but it might, you know, there might be reasons why people struggle with that. Or maybe that gives them huge huge anxiety, right? So we, you know, it's funny because we've seen a lot of these adaptive techniques kind of come to the forefront over through the pandemic, right? But we'd say, no, okay, this person, needs that kind of structure, they need to have their lines memorized on Monday. This person, they need another way to do it. So we're going to work with them. We're going to give them more time. We're going to give them lines that are easier for them to learn. You know, so it's really adapting. You know, we have some wonderful folks who are very creative, good performers, but that that memorizing is going to send them down a... right. You know, so it's it's kind of having a little bit of flexibility. That's not how we were trained in theater always that the protocol was, you know, knowing that. But we also with everybody say, you know, you're coming to rehearsal, park your bags outside and come in with your full self. But if you can't do that today, you let us know. Right. And you can sit and watch today or if you need to stay home today. You know, so having that flexibility, and part of that is built in time-wise, right? You can't do that if you only have two weeks for rehearsal. But if you have 12 weeks for rehearsal, that's important because that gives people the room. Right, exactly.
0: You want them to succeed. What kind of material do you use, theatrical material? Improvised? Is it scripted?
1: It's a combination. So we have a, a sketch comedy troupe that really was goes to the beginning of the organization called The Second Step Players. So... Oh. Sketches are, you know, usually written in teams, brainstorm, you know, and then two or three people might take on writing a sketch. The first thing I did with ArtReach as a contractor was create a play of solo works. Myself and another artist, theater artist, worked with everybody to write monologues, and they were so fantastic. They were across the board. Some were personal stories, and some were personal stories about their uh, mental illness experience. Others were incredible characters. Some were more spoken word. It was a little bit of everything. And people, not only was it the most rewarding experience for everybody who performed in it, you know, the audience just was so affirming of everybody sharing their story or their imagination. And so, so we do a lot of writing programs as well. And then the writing and theater kind of dovetail each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What's the age, what's the age range?
1: We work with adults, twenty-four and over. I would say we're we're predominantly because a lot of members have stayed in the program so long. We skew a little bit older, like <clears throat> older than thirty-five, like thirty-five to sixty-five, even a little older. But we're actively recruiting um, some younger members now. And, you know, now that we can go back out in the community again, we kind of, you know, in 2019, that was part of our big plans, but, you know, really getting out in the community. And a lot of our funding comes from the Department of Mental Health from the state of Connecticut. But through COVID, we've gotten other support that allows us to also just serve people in the community and not people just within the mental health system. Because, you know, there's a big middle gap of individuals, especially over the last two years, have struggled with depression, anxiety, other mental health issues. But if you're middle class, you know, your mental health care is not subsidized and it's costly if it's not covered, right? Or what your, you know, what your out-of-pocket costs might be is high. So not that we are there for clinical treatment, but we're certainly there for all people who may be struggling to say, I want an artistic practice that might help me with my self-care or that will give me some self-expression that will be valuable or that will just connect me with other people in the room or on the zoom screen. Right. So, so that's been great. Uh,
0: And you just got, you just got a grant for Be Well Productions to uh, develop new work. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. So that's for the play about the Victorian photographer. So I'll be doing that, doing a reading of uh, the work in progress this fall.
0: What do you hope are some of the outcomes of this uh, new project?
1: Again, to just kind of, you know, on one level, it's historical. She's also a woman who, you know, she was 48 when she Uh. picked up the camera, right? So that's kind of a current theme, right? Women, right? older women, being seen. Case in point,
0: yeah, I mean, I would never think I would be starting a podcast at this stage of my life. (laughs) But, you know, you can, you you reinvent yourself. And that's such an important message for today's young women, you know, that despite what is happening politically, you can still pick up the baton, and you can still move forward. There's always, always hope. Besides that, what are some other outcomes?
1: You know, part of the grant is to get people to come to New London, Connecticut, and, you know, (laughs) have some economic impact. Uh, You know, for me to have a new show that's ready to tour after the pandemic, hopefully things will eventually get back to going on the road, but hope to explore Not just women's issues, but also how technology shapes our lives and our choices around that. Looking at photography, this is where I'm kind of looking at what's relevant today. Is you know, photography was a brand new technology in the 1860s, right? It was fearful for some people. It opened the doors for other people, right? You could see other places that you would never travel to. You could have a portrait of yourself you know that wasn't a big oil painting so and what is that you know where's that got us to today so to speak now everybody's got a camera in their pocket so I'm kind of exploring
0: literally yeah
1: yeah right so themes kind of around are you are you writing the piece Yes, I am writing. So I usually like my solo works, although the first one I ever did was the bell of Amherst by William Luce, but I felt that kind of taught me about how to write a solo piece. Yeah. It's a different kind of animal. Yeah. So I write my own pieces, research and write them, but I feel it's important to have an outside director yeah. Uh, maybe a you, dramaturg, you know. I was know, going I to say, do you
0: work with a dramaturg? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so I feel, you know, having additional support. What's the uh, timeline for all of this? At least a first draft of a script by the fall, you know, an early version in the fall that I will do um, publicly. Our local art museum has really, you know, is really excited about kind of partnering on the project, which will also have a panel discussion following the reading with women artists in different uh, disciplines, you know, uh, women over 40 artists, you know, and kind of have that conversation about this generation of women who a group called Honor Roll articulates very well. They say, you know, we were in our younger days, we were discriminated against through sexism and now we're discriminated against through ageism, right? And so how do we keep our, uh, are value present and, and active. And why did I start doing one woman shows? Because there wasn't stuff for me to do that I cared about. I had to create it. Right. And so like, we are that age of women that had to do that. Right.
0: We had to, yeah, yeah. We had to say, that's that yeah. just that's starting to change for actors like myself, you know, they, mm-hmm. they go for these stereotypes being 70 doesn't mean that you're washed up and gray-haired or whatever, not to right. cast aspersions <laughs> on that. Uh, so this is great. To to wrap up, you know, what kind of final message would you like to talk about, uh, state about this is why it's so important to you?
1: Well, we're hearing a lot about representation matters right and being seen on stage whether that's as an older woman as a if you're a person of color right we that's part of that we need to share these stories and we need to see that representation in our arts and culture as well as through society because it hasn't been there (laughs) we can take responsibility
0: for that Absolutely. And that's why I'm I'm so excited that you got to talk about your work. And I am looking forward to uh, the performance. So keep in touch and uh, we'll be sure to watch your show. All the very best to you. Thank you, Fran. out more about what Fran is up to go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com this program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at WeCheat Studio Productions